good citizens of the reject nation. I hope you are doing well and you asked for it. So now it is time to rank phase four and we are going to include the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Is that part of phase four? I don't know. They said the end was Wakanda forever, but then immediately after the Guardians of the Galaxy had a holiday special. So for the purposes of this list, we are including obviously both of those. We're going all the way back to WandaVision, all the way through the Guardians holiday special. Now, I am very excited for this list in particular. That's because of you, because you asked for this. So please leave a comment. Let me know what else you want to see. Leave a like so this video does well enough. I can keep making these. Share this with your friends. Argue in the comments. Which ones do you like? Rank them yourself. Self. Let me know which things I got wrong in your opinion. And remember that opinions are, are literally just that. This is my journey with these films and TV shows. Also, if you like my journey, follow me on TikTok where I got 15 seconds, 30 second, one minute reviews, all sorts of stuff, all sorts of data, all sorts of trivia, all sorts of goodness over on my TikTok. Please do check that out. And that is going to do it. So sit down, strap in, let's rank them. All right, I am going to get so much heat for this because I know how much people disliked some properties and I feel like this is a nice neutral, but I'm always going to be honest with you and always go with my experience. This is my lowest ranked phase four and that is what if. I personally, and I've said it before and I'll say it again in brief, did not connect with What If as much as I'd like to. It never felt like it had the stakes that other MCU properties had. It never, for me, felt like it was impacting the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I know that's a good thing sometimes. I like when things are bubble episodes, but that's when they're consciously bubble episodes. This felt like it was both trying to be its own thing and a shared thing. And that for me just didn't work. I loved some of the segments in this. I think Ultron in this is actually better than he is in Age of Ultron. I think certain elements of this are actually stronger than their live action counterparts. I think the biggest flaw here is that when I watched Multiverse of Madness, I was like, nah, I don't know if this multiverse is really part of the what if thing. And I kept thinking that I kept feeling like a little devalued. Now, by no means is this my lowest of the greater MCU. It just happens to be my lowest of phase four and I will completely own that is in part because I struggle to connect with animation. The medium of animation is something I'm working on being able to connect to and this is my own fatal flaw and I accept that but it is my lowest and that's just my personal opinion. All right keeping it spicy and this is going to be a lot of you coming at me and saying like oh he changed his mind or oh blah blah blah. Or, Guys the thing about art and the thing about opinions is upon rewatch things do change and I've been thinking about it since it came out and I've decided to move this down a number of pegs. I think Thor Love and Thunder is my second to lowest. The more I go into it, it has a lot of the things that I struggle with in the MCU. And it's, it's also kind of tied with my next one where it devalues the characters a bit. And when you've got something as beautiful and interwoven as the tapestry that is the MCU, when one property is bad in the traditional sense of like, maybe it's boring, maybe it's it doesn't deliver in a certain emotional way, that's one thing. But when something's bad in the sense of it undermines or it devalues or it makes you feel like the characters are lesser, that's gonna be some points against it in a major way. So Thor Love and Thunder, I do feel like undermined Thor's integrity a bit. I do feel like it misused Gore the God Butcher. When he was there, I dug him, but they did no God Butchering. And I do feel like the, the tonality between comedy and drama was really disparate and it didn't feel like it got to connect in a way that I wanted it to. When it was drama, I actually really enjoyed this film. And I think that's honestly, when I reviewed it in relation to the greater MCU, I was thinking of all the dramatic scenes. I was thinking about the last five minutes, which I really enjoy and stand by. I love Thor as a father. I love the importance of the, the gods being what they are in this universe and the, the deal Christian Bale had made. I still stand by all of those things. But 
other than the goats, a lot of the comedy fell flat for me. And now that we've seen more and more releases of deleted scenes and what this movie could have been, and now that we've seen the five different versions of Hercules, it definitely feels like a movie that was, was put together in post, and I can't put it higher than this spot. So Thor Love and Thunder has uh, dropped a bit for me the more it's been out. Next up is a movie that I do also feel kind of undermines some characters, but is a ride. Now, if this, ironically, was a what if, it'd probably be in the top 10. Unfortunately, it is not a what if, it is part of MCU canon, and it doesn't feel like it understood what came before it in a way that was honest to the characters, and that is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I know this is pretty low, and I'm gonna, you know, obviously get to my experience with these other things, but I love what Sam Raimi sets out to make, and I love the genius of Sam Raimi's mind. But when you go from, and I've said this before, I feel like we got one through seven of the 10 moment arc of Scarlet Witch. And then this was like, oh, we're gonna do eight, nine, and 10 and it rushed. She literally turns around and she's the Scarlet Witch. I understand that at the end of WandaVision, she was becoming the Scarlet Witch, but she wasn't yet. So when she literally pivots and goes evil, it feels like a bad comic book delivery. It feels like I missed some issues. So between that and some of the editing choices in rushing certain things, I would love to see a two hour and 40 minute version of what Sam Raimi made, because I love the Sam Raimi movie in here and I enjoyed the horror in here. It's some of my favorite visual horror elements in the greater MCU. The cloak is incredible. Some of the beautiful zombie moments are way more exciting and more for me than I would have expected. The 90s overlap fade montages, all exceptional. There's a lot here that works, but when things don't, like America Chavez stepping on an exposition machine and being told her history, that I can't, I can't put that higher than this. So unfortunately, these two films back to back are on the lower side. Coming in at number 15, the first of the live action shows of this rigmarole is Hawkeye. Hawkeye, is a character I love dearly. Hawkeye is a character that I love specifically in the run they based us off of, the Fraction AHA run. Kate Bishop is one of my favorite new characters in the MCU. I'm a giant fan of her. I think the Haley Steinfeld casting is immaculate. I think that Jeremy Renner getting more time to shine as Hawkeye is so needed. I loved getting more Linda Cardellini. I loved so much about this show, but I loved the other shows more and the ending. I did not feel like this stuck the landing and that's a flaw that Marvel had to the point where it did come up in She-Hulk. I do think that this was one of the examples that She-Hulk referenced. I do think that there were things that absolutely were incredible in this. And that's what's interesting about these lists is I love the greater MCU. So even the things I don't enjoy, the, the three we've said so far, they're still in that C, C minus range for me, which is still a bell curve average. This is like a B minus. This is still something I think is better than a lot of things, but something has to be lower. And because of the ending, because of what it did with Kingpin, because of some of the rushed exposition to get to action, because of some of the rushed exposition, there were some moments that I was like, man, this isn't quite there. It's very close, still a high B minus, but it is what it is, Hawkeye's number 15. Number 14, She-Hulk. She-Hulk is very interesting in that a lot of the time I struggle with the third act of MCU. A lot of the time I think like, man, the second act of this and most of the first act is just aces. It's crushing it. I think that's genius. They acknowledge that in She-Hulk. I think She-Hulk is overall very funny, very inventive, very witty. I'm not putting it this, this spot because of CGI because that is a part of the puzzle, absolutely. But with the pandemic, with, with everything it juggled, I am going, hey, I'm going to give a little asterisk there. I understand that you're inventing a new type of character in a different way. We'd had the models for Abomination for Hulk. We'd had different character sets where those that CGI could look different. So that isn't as big of a deal for me. It's when a joke is a joke for the sake of a joke that feels like it's doing it at 
me instead of with me when I feel like it's going like, haha, I want to be with them on this journey. And I love the twist at the end so much so that I forgive a lot of that. But there were some episodes in the middle of this that even with knowing the twist did feel like they fell flat comedically because they were looking for the joke instead of looking for the character development, instead of looking for the evolution of the MCU, instead of looking at what rules that actually could be born of this. This is a lawyer show. We barely got any law. This is something that really could have set a precedent for comedic lawyering to grow out what the rules of the MCU are. But instead, a lot of the time it was like joke, 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 cool scene, joke, joke. So the first two and the last two episodes, absolutely incredible. I think it's the opposite of most third act problems. I loved the ending of this. The middle sagged a bit, so it's a little lower. We've got another show coming in at number 13, and that is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm very curious about where the show ends up landing overall, because now we're into the Bs. We're out of the B minuses into the Bs. And I think with Thunderbolts, and I think with time, this one might get even higher. This is a show that I don't think people realized how riveting it was week to week. There's certain episodes that blew up the internet. I think the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. moment was one of the most impactful moments in the MCU. I think some of the speeches in here. I think Baron Zemo dancing. I think there's a lot that really was impactful. I think it gathered that espionage tone. I think seeing, you know, our White Wolf in Bucky Barnes uh, with the Dormelage was really impactful. I seen these characters go to therapy when the entire phase four is about what it is to go through trauma. These are very important moments, but there were a few things, you know, that, that did fall apart. Like the villains had to get rewritten and excised because their plot was based around a virus and a vaccine. There were moments where I was like, why is Baron Zemo this chill with these guys? He is a villain. They had to do some creative, you know, suspension of disbelief. Sometimes it didn't work. A lot of times it did. I think this show is better than people remember. I think this show is a great way to do action with a TV budget. I think it evolved both Bucky and our new Captain America very, very well. Gave us great supporting characters that we're going to see again in Captain America 4. And I'm really excited for all that. But until I see where Isaiah Bradley goes, until I see what lands with Eli Bradley and these other characters, it's on the middle of my overall journey, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. All right, next up, we've got Moon Knight. Now, Moon Knight is an interesting one because it is all of the problems that She-Hulk demonstrated. The, the third act issues and the final episode being, you know, a, a punch mob. But when it worked, it worked so well. I loved Ethan Hawke here. I think Oscar Isaac's acting may be some of the best acting in the MCU. I think what Oscar Isaac was able to do, riveting us for six episodes of just incredible psychological acting and action. What they were able to do with the character design. What these three directors, Justin, Aaron, and Muhammad, were able to do with this world. They were able to build a tapestry of religion and backstory and, and future story and psychology and this, uh, this cult of personality. They were able to do all these things while Khonshu's running around looking incredible, while you have hippopotamus gods running around that feel like, yeah, that's that's totally a thing. It was able to suspend the disbelief in ways I didn't think were possible. I didn't think Khonshu would look like I could reach out and touch him. I didn't think I could run into Khonshu in a back alley. Now I feel like that reality. So it's got to get points for that. If the last episode didn't turn into a punch mob, I think this would be very high on my list. I did feel the ending didn't quite grab me, but overall, Moon Knight did a lot right, and I feel like that is due to the trust that the show had in its audience. And that's the main thing that I love about it is they let the creators and the filmmakers make something that trusted us and that's really beautiful, and I loved it. All right, now back to movies. We've got Black Widow. Now, admittedly, I'm one of the few people that got to see this in the theater. I will completely own. That might have enhanced my experience, but this is one of the ones I don't understand the hate behind. Uh, this movie was Jason Bourne with Black Widow like I wanted. This movie gave me some incredible Red Room sequences. This movie gave me some brutal action. This movie introduced us to Florence Pugh as our new Black Widow. This movie gave us David Harbour's Red Guardian. This movie gave us a beautiful send-off 
for our Black Widow. Now, there are things I don't like. I did not like the Taskmaster being uh, mechanized and not having powers, but basically just using, you know, computerized version of powers. That didn't work for me. I didn't like the Taskmaster was mute either. I didn't mind her being a woman, but I did mind that she didn't have all of the snarkiness of Taskmaster because that's all dialogue based and they got rid of that. But when it was working, the opening plane sequence with David Harbour, Rachel Weiss taking off that incredible sequence that lays you into this film genius the twists and turns with Rachel Weiss, the things they were able to do in making David Harbour this guy that you shouldn't like but man he's so charming you're in and again the action set pieces I personally got a whole lot out of Black Widow but I'll totally own the first time I saw it was in a theater and that really enhanced my experience as I always say a movie theater is the best way to watch these movies or shows just see it as big and loud as you can I will always hold that Black Widow experience is a very, very special one to me. So it's in that solid B approaching B plus range. All right, we're into the top 10 and now into the solid B plus territory. We've got the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. This was magic. This was what you love about the holidays. This was that feeling of family and sentimentality. This was that warm fuzzy. This was the Guardians. So they're characters that you can't help but love. This was a showcase for the side characters we haven't gotten to spend as much time with. We know we love Drax. It's good to get him as our co-lead. We haven't had nearly enough time with Mantis until this. I love that Pom Klemtoff got her, I think that's how you pronounce her name, Pom Klemtoff, got her time to shine because she's so genius, such a unique force in comedy, and she's able to do so much here. Then you add that Kevin Bacon magic. Not only is Kevin Bacon playing Kevin Bacon, but you see the transition of Kevin Bacon when he's manipulated, when he's not, and then you get to see Kevin Bacon sing. You get to have a fish out of water Kevin Bacon while he's brainwashed. You get to have Kevin Bacon playing a exaggerated. You get so much Kevin Bacon. You get like five pounds of Kevin Bacon. You get an excess of bacon. All of that with some flashbacks to Yondu. So we feel that again, which I love that they were in animation. That way we don't feel like they sacrificed, you know, Michael Rooker's last appearance being so powerful. I loved that we got the evolution of these characters. I love that they used Michael Rooker in animation, and I love that that didn't devalue anything. I also really appreciate that all of this felt like it was a continuation, but it wasn't married into anything so much so that you had to watch all the MCU again. I feel like I'm gonna watch this a lot of Christmases. I feel like it's authentically a Christmas movie, special, what have you, and I also feel that all of the warm fuzzies I got and all of the laughs I got were so well earned because of these characters that we've grown up with. We've had the Guardians for so long and I, I really got a lot out of this. It was a really special, special. Number nine, I'm going with Miss Marvel. Miss Marvel was really fun if you watch this channel, which I assume you do because you're here. If you don't subscribe, hit that notification bell. We had such a good time watching this show together. And this was one of my favorite experiences working with Reject Nation is you guys were so responsive. We got to experience what your experience of this was and we all learned stuff. Like I really like when comic books can teach me while they're entertaining me. One of my favorite things about Miss Marvel is she always felt like the modern Silver Age Spider-Man. Now that's a very important distinction. There are different chapters of every character's history. Silver Age Spider-Man is very much innocent protecting his town, very, uh, you know, friendly neighborhood, very contained, but you learned about Peter and his relationships. Miss Marvel feels like that for the modern day to me. You care about Circle Q, you care about her friends, you love her family, and in this case, you're learning about the Muslim culture. I knew so little about Muslim culture, and I got to learn so much because of the comic books. I got to learn even more here. I learned about 
you know, the, the, the coming down of the wall in India. I learned about certain relationships that I never knew existed. And that's because you know, I grew up in public school. And I love that a thing that is so spectacular, so investing, so overwhelming can also educate. So not only is it entertaining, not only is it funny, not only does it refer to things, not only does it give it the first mutants. And, like that drop, by the way, was insane. That's definitely a moment in MCU history when we heard that sound cue. But it did all of that while informing, educating, and growing us as people. And there's nothing better than when entertainment makes you a better person by educating you. So Miss Marvel's a very, very, very special place in my heart. And that experience of watching it, I'll always remember. Number eight is tricky because it's like five minutes, but it's also so perfect in its five minutes. I didn't know how to include this in any other list because it is so short, but it is like those Pixar animated shorts in that you want no less. You want as much of it as you can and you love every millisecond. I Am Groot is pitch perfect. You are madly in love with this character throughout. You care about his hijinks. You're invested in the world. Everyone they introduce is immediately important. You're so endeared to every scenario. This is what animation can be. And honestly, this shows that it's not just the connectivity via looking into an actor's eyes that put what if where it did because spoiler alert Groot's not real and I felt so much for Groot and I am Groot and it did it so quickly this is something that I watched and I remember consciously with each episode going man I can't wait to have kids and show them this I love that so much of what I love is something I can share with my kids when I have them I am Groot specifically, like I don't have kids right now, but when I do, that's like a year two thing. Like that's very soon. I love how accessible the MCU is. I love how beautifully available this series is. And I really love that they're mixing up the formula. This is minutes and it's so encompassing versus three hours of Endgame versus three hours of Eternals. There's so much here and it's like that. And I love when you can, you can play with mediums. And I think I am Groot is... Uh, there was nothing I changed. It's perfect. All right, right from one special to a special edition, we're going Werewolf by Night is number seven. This one was hard. We're now into the A's. Any of this can change. I am Groot's the first A. Any of this could kind of juggle around. It just didn't feel fair to give something that's only a few minutes as high a ranking as stuff that endured and took years to make. Werewolf by Night is also minute to minute perfect. Uh, I would change nothing. I love the action. I love the drama. I love how immediately we're invested in characters that don't always even work in the comic books. Elsa Bloodstone is a character that I like, but I never would be like, oh, that's someone I'm going to read everything she's ever done. Elsa Bloodstone is a fun concept of a character. She's a good do it, uh, deus ex machina, but she's not like, I'm going to follow the exploits of Elsa Bloodstone. Now I care because of this actress just crushing it immediately. I like Werewolf by Night, but I've never sought him out. But because of what they were able to do, I want to know more of his side adventures. When something can get a comic fan to be more of a comic fan, you know it's exceptional. Add to that, this is Michael Giacchino's directorial debut of something of this scale. Add to that that he scores all of these incredible movies and did all of that while making this. The guy was scoring The Batman and uh, making Werewolf by Night. That's incredible. So it is a abundance of riches, and on top of all of that, it gives us man thing. It gives us, I would argue, one of the best practical meat CGI characters since Jurassic freaking Park. Man thing looks like someone you can hug and you want to, but you also know he can kill you. I, that's the character. I want more of Ted. Give me a man thing movie tomorrow because of this. And on top of all that, it was bold. It was black and white. It felt like a period piece. It felt like a universal monster movies experience. This authentically felt like it could have been from the 30s, the 60s, or today. And I just love, I don't know. I, I could do an hour on this. I love this experience. It's an A. It's great. It's number seven. It's Werewolf by Night. Top six and where it gets hard for me to talk about it in brief. Shang-Chi was 
for me in all of the best ways oh my god they can still make me feel that phase one magic we are so many movies into the mcu and this was an origin movie and i was enamored i love when they're able to skip over the origin if we already know it if i ever see pearls again in regards to batman it'll be too soon I also love when they can show me that origin movies can fit in seamlessly into an already established universe, and I think Shang-Chi is arguably the best origin movie post-Phase 1. It is everything you want from a character that is going to be shouldering a franchise. It is charm, it is action, it is comedy, it is effortlessness. When Simu Liu walked on stage at Hall H, I was like, that is a movie star right there. That's that's a movie star. And then this came out two years later and it was like, yes, it is. Then you've got Aquafina doing incredible supporting work. You've got all of these incredible characters that you immediately care about and you've just met them. You also bring back a twist that I personally loved, but a lot of people didn't and retroactively make it better with Ben Kingsley. You introduce an entire higher new world in the third act of this where dragons feel plausible and you have one of the best villains in the entire MCU. I think Tony Leung in this is up there with any of the great villains. If you watch my villain video, you see where I rank them. It is so impactful. There's so much pathos. There's so much empathy. There's so much of where you understand where he's coming from, but he's still terrifying. And this is a movie based off a comic book that literally had Fu Manchu and magic rings. They bring the 10 rings to life in a very literal way. And I guarantee those 10 rings are going to be essential going forward. I think they tie to Eternals. I think they tie to Kang. I think they tie to Miss Marvel. All of that in an origin movie with maybe the best soundtrack. There's just so much uh, Black Panther and Shang-Chi. Either way, I could talk about Shang-Chi again. It's getting harder because we're getting into my faves but Shang-Chi pitch perfect uh, I wouldn't change anything and one of the best theater experiences I've ever had all right we are into the top five now I'm gonna be totally honest with you this and Shang-Chi were tied I was like either one of these could be five I honestly it depends on my mood but this one gets the edge because of spite because of the disrespect it received because I feel like someone needs to fight this battle so it literally edged out because I I need to acknowledge the importance of this Eternals fucking owns Eternals is so good. Eternals is the kind of movie I've been wanting the MCU to make to show people, hey, it is not just cape stuff. This is a movie that is about evolution of mankind. This is a movie about the choices we make as people. This is a movie having gods be fallible and be so fallible that we relate to them as humans while they do things that are so human that the lesser humanoid animals that we also realize are humanoid in a second act twist are conflicting much like humans do whilst they end up making a choice that effectively makes them villains. There is so much philosophy here. We have characters that decide billions of lives are worth sacrificing for our lives. They make the most selfish choice. That's a villain move. It's the anti-Thanos. Thanos was literally like, we need to preserve life by killing half. And the, the Eternals are like, we need to save these people. Oh no, deal with it. Fascinating. I love all of this. And I also love that my experience with it means I can have these long conversations with people. I love that my personal experience is that there are scenes where you don't see like three of the characters and when they come back I immediately know how they're going to react to this situation because I know them so well and I just met them this is the movie that showed me a team movie in one can work this is a movie that showed me I can be just as invested in Druig as I am in Thor I can be so invested in these characters just as quickly as the characters I've been riding with for 14 years that's insane in its accomplishment plus it's so beautiful plus the third act action is so uh, riveting while not feeling tonally different from the drama this movie has been. Eternals does not get enough love. It is a masterpiece. 
It is so special. I've literally done interviews about this. I've been on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong to the point where Chloe Zhao reshared me yelling about how good this movie was because I think this is the thing that I'm seeing in a way that when we look at it in five years, other people, I hope, see it in the same way. I hope that the way I experience it is the way other people experience it in time. I personally cannot wait to watch it in the greater tapestry when we find out how it ties in. And even by itself, it is so special. Love Eternals. <laughs> well, Greg and I also had a great debate about it. It's Greg's favorite. All right, top four and bringing us to what just came out in theaters, Wakanda Forever. Wakanda Forever is a really interesting one because I don't think I'll watch it as often because of how much it impacted me. It is a movie that strength is that it was so overwhelming that it's a struggle. Wakanda Forever is a movie that uses sorrow in a way that makes you feel the way the characters feel on screen because you are relating to both Chadwick and T'Challa simultaneously. It, it uses your real emotions as a tool like you're a color on the paintbrush. You yourself are a color being used to make this art. And that is incredible and so interesting. This movie uses silence as a weapon. This movie mixes up insane sight and sound with pure, serene, painful silence. If it was used in a different way, it'd be serene because it's peaceful. The sound of wind on a beach is usually about peace. And instead here, it's about sorrow and absence. I love that nothing is more linear than the absence of sound for the feeling of absence. When you get in an elevator, you are uncomfortable when there's silence and no one talks because that's what elevators are. They're, they're uncomfortable. But here that's used poignantly. Here they weaponize silence in a way that you feel so much for everyone. And that's in a score by Ludwig Gorenson. That is in a movie that uses sound so effectively. That's in a movie where they had to rewrite an entire experience and make this work in a year and pay homage to their actual friend that they lost. This movie is so special. This movie is like nothing else in the MCU. And this movie is what a blockbuster can be. Again, when you trust your audience. And I think it's really special. And it's also so impactful. <sighs> the maturation of the viewers watching. You know, this is, we've lived with these characters and these people for so long. I, I think this movie's only gonna grow in, in the importance of, of what we can do in this genre. It's a really special film. All right, top three, you lovelies. We got WandaVision. WandaVision is so close to perfect. And I, I had it lower for a long time because of the ending. But the more I think about it, the more I realize it was juggling being a philosophical quandary wrapped in an action show. And that is no small task. I, I really, for a long time, blamed its final episode on the creators making something that was like Marvel. Instead, I realized, wait, this is a Marvel show. They probably needed to make something more accessible to get us to the point where we can have Wakanda forever. They needed to make something more accessible so we can trust them to make things like Loki season two, which I think is going to be even more bananas than Loki season one. I think the end of WandaVision is not how I wanted it to be, but now I understand why it needed to be that. We still got the ship of Theseus. I don't love that we went from the ship of Theseus, what is Vision, to punch, 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 but I get it. When you make these properties, there is a need for some of that. So now that we've done it, and now that we've made fun of it in She-Hulk, now that we've shown we don't need it in certain things, I do think we won't have to do that again. But at the time, this was the first phase four property. We just left Endgame. So my biggest flaw of WandaVision is the last episode. I've almost completely been like, that's actually okay. The perks are 
innumerable. There's no way to list all the perks. Agatha Harkness, what they were able to do with changing time zones and the manipulation of reality, what they were able to do week to week using the format of a thing that didn't exist yet. This was the first Disney Plus Marvel show. There was no such thing as Marvel TV to this scale. They made us every week the best marketing ever by making us go, is it Mephisto? They played us. We were, much like Wakanda Forever, part of the paint on that art. We got to be vexed week to week and wonder what was going on. I loved that. Not only that, but we got to see the relationship between a character that's an android and a witch be some of the best love story I've ever seen. We got to see a villain that was effectively trauma this early into the phase four being about trauma and it bookends Wakanda forever beautifully because one of these people deals with trauma aggressively and does wrong things that turns her into a villain, skips some steps, but turns her into a villain. And the other learns from that vengeance and grows in Wakanda forever. They're beautiful bookends to phase four. They, they, they have that whole arc by like stacking them at the end of the, the comic shelf together. I think WandaVision, immaculate, plus some fun twists and turns, plus some beautiful cinematography, plus, you know, some new characters getting to start, you know, here. I, I really love WandaVision. It's very special. Solid A+. Number two, and the only thing that could have possibly overtaken long-form Marvel, Loki. Loki did all of the things I just described with WandaVision, sort of, you know, Agatha Harkness and details, but the ending stuck. For me, this is the best last episode of Marvel. For me, having the last beats of action be verbal, the, the fact that He Who Remains is a Shakespearean, almost puckish character, and he monologues so impactfully that not only do you care about Jonathan Majors now, not only are you fascinated by Kang, but you've just had this entire action show that is largely about concepts beyond understanding and then you do this to cap it off it's so tonally perfect it's so inventive in its world building it's so on brand for the show and it doesn't sacrifice what weirdness we had where half the show is two people talking mobius and loki talking should not be that riveting but we have incredible writers we've got tom hiddleston we got owen wilson and then how do you top that or how do you you know have a resolution for that you you find jonathan majors and he remains just changes the game i think loki uh, short of not showing Owen Wilson on a jet ski is perfect. I honestly, if they had done that, A++++. If they'd done that, maybe they'd be number one. I needed that jet ski. But it is every week so special. We can't forget OG Loki. We can't forget the first time we saw variants. We can't forget the moment we saw President Loki fighting our Loki. There's so many moments that are like, I'll never see that in live action. And it did it in a show about the philosophy of what it means to be a person, what it means to exist, the philosophy of time. It did it in such a heady, special way. This show is is my favorite show that marvel has done it is amongst my favorite adaptations of anything sci-fi i've yet to watch doctor who and apparently i have to because this is very doctor who so it is so my jam to a level that until this came out i didn't know how to describe to people what sci-fi i like because i enjoy a star war i enjoy you know matrix but that's a lot like this it's super heady i like when sci-fi makes you look in while it's exploding out and that is so unique so uh, really, really special show. Loki is my jam. Number one with a bullet. And you guys, I mean, I every time I say this, the comments get more aggressive. And especially in the last month, there's been this, in two months, there's been this strange surge of No Way Home hate. And I won't stand for it. And I won't let it change my opinion. I don't know that as an adult, I've ever had a theatrical experience like Spider-Man No Way Home. I don't know that as an adult, I believed in the magic of fucking cinema like Spider-Man No Way Home. This showed me that every single thing can lead to something greater. I like the Tobey Maguire movies. I used to love them. 
Now I like them, and this made me love them again because it put it in this beautiful context and gave me, that's a different universe of Spider-Man. He doesn't have to be my guy. Tom Holland, to me, is the exact right Spider-Man for an Avengers universe. Andrew Garfield, to me, is the comic book Spider-Man come to life. Now, because of the way the story is told, Tobey Maguire feels so perfect for that universe, that Silver Age Sam Raimi flavor that didn't quite stick with me as an adult, but I've, I have this new refound love for. So when a movie can make you retroactively love stuff more, I'm always gonna like, yes. And on top of that, the Spider-Verse storyline in the comic books, I always felt like was an excuse to sell toys and shirts and merch. And I was like, this is fun. And it brings in some of my favorites like Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 29 But then the Spider-Verse movie showed me, no, it's so much more than that. They explained quantum physics to kids. Spider-Verse is genius. And I was like, they're never gonna be able to make that work in live action. Then they gave me almost the Sinister Six, plus a Spider-Verse story in live action. Plus they did it while making our Spider-Man Uncle Ben. Plus they gave us the Uncle Ben death moment with Aunt May. Plus they gave us power and responsibility in a way that works effectively giving us a six movie origin story that absolutely works with multiple villains and multiple Spider-Man and gave us closure for not just Andrew catching, you know, MJ giving him that Gwen Stacy moment, not just Tom getting to meet his heroes in real life, but also get to have a father figure in these guys, an uncle figure, and Toby getting to not just have that vengeance quell, which was my biggest issue with Spider-Man, was he always had an anger in him that didn't feel, he didn't grow out of it. His arc didn't didn't solve the anger. I always felt crazy that in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, he like didn't quite deserve Mary Jane. Their relationship wasn't great and he was always angry. Even before he got the Venom symbiote, they addressed that and they let that vengeance lie. He has to grow. He grows in this, into the Spider-Man I always wanted him to be. All three of my Spider-Men grow into the Spider-Man I've always wanted them to be in one movie with all these villains I love, and redemption for Sandman, and one of the best villain performances of all time with Willem Dafoe, finally getting to be the Green Goblin. That fight through the building, smashing all the way through, the big Sinister Six, Sinister Five fight at the end, all of this, all of this is why it's my number one. It's my number one MCU film. It's my number one Phase Four film. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, oh, without the Spider-Man gimmick. It's not a gimmick. It's plot evolving. It is closure for three sets of characters. It's building out a world. There's no gimmick when it's what the story is. I don't understand how people see using characters. There's there's definitely gimmicks in comic book movies. Using characters correctly isn't a gimmick. It's storytelling. It's art. And that's why it's the best of Phase 4. And I love it very, very much. And I hope you enjoyed this list. Those are the 18 Phase 4 properties ranked from my experience. My favorites, not saying one is best, not saying 18 is worse. Saying my experience of favorites, that is how I experience them. Let me know how you experience them in the comments below. Let me know how you would rank them by your favorites, your opinion, and let me know what you liked and didn't like about this video. Let me know what else you guys want to see. Just did a big action video involving fights. Definitely should have included that Green Goblin fight. Totally will own that. I didn't want to overwhelm with Spider-Man, but I should have. It was a great fight. That said, I want to hear what else you guys want in the new year. And um, yeah, let me know what you thought of this video. Like, subscribe, share it with your friends. We'll see you soon.